I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, James, it is a big podcast anytime we have our favorite guest on. Sorry, Mark. Is Mark Masters our favorite <laughs> guest? He's going to take offense to that. Okay, our 1A favorite guest. Take him. Take it away, James. It's CJ. CJ's here. What's up, bud? Excited to be here. I thought Ray Ferraro might be your favorite guest, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just happy to be in the consideration. I'm sort of in the, I'm in your golf foursome, I guess, if you will. So that's, I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, we've got a Mount Rushmore, and you're you're definitely on it. Ray Ray might be on it. Uh, DGB is probably there. So maybe we, we should do like a uh, like a fluctuating rankings based on how we feel about them at the time. Although CJ will always be number one in my heart, so I don't know. So do, I might uh, I might C- be the biggest fan of this pod. By the way, <laughs> I, I, got, I got so mad at you guys over the summer when you weren't producing any episodes. You know, you you joined me on a lot of my my workouts and the like. So. I hate when I'm on because I obviously don't listen back to that episode, but uh, I, I love your show. We, uh, it's our 10th year anniversary. I, I don't know exactly really? what the date. Yeah, it's, yeah, we started during the lockout, remember? It, I, think, I think we started September 2012. It was when there was no hockey. That was when we decided to start the podcast. Why did we do that? What, what, what were well, you Well, I think it was, I mean, you were working for a radio station covering hockey. So I think you were partly like had some 
free time on your hands. Oh, and yeah. I did too. All right. Well, another podcast that absolutely everyone should be listening to uh, is the Chris Johnson show, um, which always breaks some news, tons of nuggets. It's entertaining. It's interesting. So obviously listen to that if you're not already, which I'm sure everyone is. Uh, so CJ, we have a lot we want to cover. This is kind of not previewing the season because we've been previewing the season for months. Um, but training camp's about to start. Um, we'll get to some of the news that you broke this morning. But first, I kind of want to get both your reactions um, to Nathan McKinnon signing a new contract, eight years, 12.6, just in relation to Austin Matthews. CJ, you've written about the Matthews next contract pretty extensively. What impact, if any, do you think the McKinnon contract will have on that? Well, I mean, I guess the way I view it is it doesn't hurt Austin's bargaining position. Um, you know, Nathan McKinnon's been a finalist for the Hart Trophy three of the last five years. Austin Matthews obviously is coming off a season where he's won it, uh, plus his two Rocket Richard trophies. You know, it's kind of been my view that we're essentially moving into the point, and, and, you know, the Leafs can't do a new deal with Matthews until next July 1st, 2023. But basically, I don't see that as much of a negotiation, to be honest. I, I mean, clearly there's a discussion to be had, uh, and, and one that I suspect has already been had at least at, you know, at, at 10,000 foot level between the organization and, and Austin's agent, Judd Moldaver. Um, but, you know, essentially Austin Matthews is, is too valuable to lose. I think he can more or less pick his number. I think to some degree, um, Nathan McKinnon was in a similar spot with the avalanche. Um, you know, what, what works against the abs a little bit is that this contract starts uh, when the cap is still going to be relatively flat. Uh, so that's going to obviously pose some challenges for them in terms of keeping the team around their player because, you know, he's, he's more than doubling his salary from where it's been or almost doubling it rather. Um, you know, but I, I think that Austin Matthews, I, I would have told you before we saw this number or after that I think he'll be, you know, probably more than 13 million on his next deal. So I don't think this necessarily is a direct comparable, but you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of change the course of where I think that, that negotiation will go with, with the Leafs and Matthews when it comes time to, to really hammer down on the contract. Well, maybe, Chris, I'll go even broader than that. Do you think that the McKinnon contract is a further sign of kind of where the star salaries are going to go? And, you know, now someone's pushed past McDavid, then there's going to be more 12, 13, even with the cap being relatively flat. And it's going to just be a continued squeeze for the guys on the third and fourth line and third pairs and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's going to go that way because you see that in the other sports, right? I mean, the, the growth of the, the salary for the, the stars, the absolute elite players in the NHL has not been even remotely keeping pace with, you know, the, what you see in the NBA, the NFL, you follow international soccer. I mean, you know, obviously we're talking about a lot of money for the average person, but but these guys aren't, you know, haven't been able because of the NHL's locked in hard salary cap, plus, you know, some of the effects of the pandemic maybe been able to see the growth in their salaries. But, you know, I, I think that it's pretty clear what a difference a top player makes to a team. And if you happen to get one, I think you've got to do whatever you can to sign them. And, um, you know, we're not really all that far off of, you know, Connor McDavid's next deal. Um, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I think these guys will keep leapfrogging each other. I really do. I, I, I the sort of the age, you know, what didn't uh, happen so well earlier on is, you know, Sidney Crosby basically made 8.7 million against the cap his entire career. Um, so, you know, when he and Alex Ovechkin were the, the best players, Ovechkin, you'll remember, signed a 13-year deal. 
on a second contract. I mean, those guys didn't have a chance to do multiple deals while still in their primes. You know, that, that might change a little bit with this generation. And, you know, I think it's reasonable to think that even when Connor McDavid's in season 11 or season, you know, coming off his 10th season, when he can do what would be his third contract, I think he'll still be in a position to negotiate for one. And, you know, one of the benefits for Austin Matthews in doing a five-year deal on his second uh, contract is that I'm pretty sure he's going to be uh, increasing his his number um, on this deal. And, and you know, maybe it's a shorter deal with the Leafs. That, you know, that still sort of remains to be seen, but maybe he can have two more deals where he keeps, the you know, bumping the number up, especially if the cap does eventually jump here once the pandemic uh, debts are paid back from the players to the owners. See, CJ, that's what kind of surprises me a little bit about McKinnon or, or a lot of superstar players is that we haven't seen a ton of guys in that I don't know caliber negotiate shorter contracts like in terms of earning power it, it doesn't actually make sense for McKinnon for example or even McDavid before that to do an eight-year deal like I don't I don't really know why you wouldn't do three years or four years or five years and then four years from now when McKinnon is I don't know how old he is He's 27 right now. He just okay, turned so 27. When, so when he's 31, 32, he could he could get even more on another. Like, I guess I when I'm looking ahead to Matthews, it would be surprising to me if he took an eight year contract. Like, I kind of think he'd probably just do another five year deal or six year deal. Am I wrong? And why do you think more guys aren't following this? Uh, it's not a trend because no one else is really doing it. Well, it takes guts, right? I mean, we're talking Nathan McKinnon. If you look at it, full no move clause, all kinds of signing bonus payments. I mean, he's guaranteed himself another hundred million now with this deal. It's it's hard to it's hard to leave that on the table. I think. I mean, obviously, I've never been in a position where I've had to make that kind of decision. Um, but I I agree with you in theory, you know. But we're also talking on a day where PK Subban has elected to retire at age thirty three, you know. And and yeah. if you yeah. remember, if you remember the absolute peak of Subban's career, I mean, there was. He was certainly in the top five defensemen for for several NHL seasons. You know, I know he did win the one Norris in the shortened season, uh, 2012-13 in Montreal. But you know, I think his his career arc is is the argument against it is that you can be on, on top of the world and and pretty quickly, you know, be in a position where it you know obviously it wasn't a strong market for him this summer and he's elected to retire. Um, you know, I think that, I think that is the risk. You know, Austin Matthews has done everything differently his whole life, right? Um, you know, obviously we know about, about his upbringing, you know, but playing his, his draft here in Switzerland in a pro league, you know, even signing that five-year second deal was not sort of the trend uh, of his era of superstars. You know, we, we did see, you know, Steven Stamkos, for example, do that, you know, in, in what I might call the prior generation. Um, Jimmy Ben. Yeah. Jimmy Ben did that. Uh, was Tavares, good. what was Tavares, six years on the second deal? Yeah, but, you know, it was a little bit against, the grain at the time. I mean, obviously, he had to have a fair bit of leverage to be able to to get that deal out of the team uh, because most teams are wanting to sign players of his ilk for for eight years if they can on that second deal. And so, you know, I don't know where the term's going to end up here. I suspect no one can say with any certainty at this point what his his next deal will be. Um, But but it wouldn't surprise me if it's not an eight-year deal. I'm with you, Jonas. I think that, you know, the the good news if if you're Austin Matthews is, is you've put what? I mean, you, you've got something in the neighborhood of sixty million in career earnings. I don't have it in front of me, but that's the ballpark. So you know, he's he's pretty well looked after, I would suspect, for his life. And 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 so you know, I, you might make the shorter term bets if you're him. You know, the way LeBron James does in the NBA, he's been able to constantly bump his salary. I mean, I I don't think that that's 
a crazy path for someone like Matthews to take. And, and quite honestly, if that's how it turns out, I don't know that it's the worst for the Leafs either. I mean, it, it, it might keep sort of whatever we view their window of contention to a certain degree. It might keep his cap hit down too. You know, I, I suspect if he were to do like a five-year deal versus an eight-year deal next time around, the eight-year deal would cost more because, you know, the Leafs would basically be buying years that, that are in that elevated cap situation. So, you know, there, there might be a, a sweet spot to be found there um, for both the team and the player once they really get into the details on this deal, which I, I don't think will happen until next offseason. I think not. We can we can move on to the next subject. But I, the other thing I would say is with McKinnon, Jonas, he's 27. You know, he let's say he does sign a five-year deal. I don't know what the upside is on, on the cap hit, you, you know, in five years. Like, I don't know how much. Is but he going like, more what if he, what at if 31 he, or 32? What if he did three years? So let's say it was a three-year contract. What would his cap number be, CJ? Just like, we're just guessing. Would it be 10 and it would be 11, 11 and a half? I don't know. It might be 15. I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Right. How, I don't know. How, I, look, I, I don't know what was, I don't have a, the whole breakdown of this negotiation. You know, I think the other thing from a player's standpoint too, it's not just money. I mean, the money is a huge part of these decisions, but you know, if you're signing an eight-year deal with the Avalanche, you know, it, it might be tough to move that contract at a certain point. You know, maybe he becomes less productive. And maybe there's there's a world, and, and it's hard to imagine it today because Kale McCarr is so young and is such a special player, and they have lots of other great players there in Colorado. But maybe if the team sort of gets out of its window where it's one of the top teams, you're, you know, you're kind of strapped to an organization maybe that it isn't where you want to be. You know, I think that there's some flexibility there when you do a shorter-term deal where you can kind of guide your career a little bit better or dictate where you, where you play. You know, I think that all these things kick in, and, and you know, I should be clear, I'm, I'm not on the team here that, that is, is thinking Austin Matthews is looking for a way out of town. You know, I really do believe he'll sign a third contract in Toronto unless things really go off the rails in a way I, I, I have trouble kind of even conceptualizing right now. Um, but I, I do think he'll, he'll stick around, you know, for one more deal and, and then see how things progress. But, um, you know, I, I like the idea of players being able to take control of their careers. It's just hockey. So many guys get injured or, get diminished because of their injuries that, you know, I think that when given the chance to sign your eight year deal, it's hard to say no to it. Yeah. And I think, um, we're really just talking like these super duper stars. Like there actually are a couple, I was just picking through cat friendly, like Kale McCarr, I think did six years by nine. Kaprizov did five years, $9 million cap it. So like, it's not like no one has done this, but, um, it's not like it's been a trend, um, with the, top 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 players anyway let's move on to some injury stuff uh cj you broke the news and actually on monday uh i think you hinted on your pod um about some injuries and one of them is is timothy logan what do you think this means for the leafs and their defense and rasmus sandine like what do you think the trickle down effect of this is well i, I certainly think it adds a little bit more pressure on the leafs i mean obviously with with timothy Lilligren and and Rasmus Sandin, that, you know, they don't play the same side of the blue line. Um, you know, it's not a direct sort of, well, now they have to go sign Sandin and cave in and on, on, you know, wherever things are at with the negotiations. But I do think it does add a little bit more pressure to have another option in camp. I mean, and that pressure would be there too. I mean, look, for all that's been said and written about the Sandin situation, you know, it doesn't benefit the player or the team to have them miss much time here. And so, you know, we're recording this on, on Tuesday afternoon. I still think the start of camp is, is a pressure point in this negotiation. You know, typically we've seen in the past with restricted free agents, a lot of the deals get done a day or two into camp. 
because both sides get to a point where they they recognize it's it's probably not in anyone's interest to to take the the stalemate any farther. Um, but I, I think that this you know has the effect of of probably giving them a little bit more desire to want to have another you know NHL defenseman in camp and and also. Of course, it's going to alleviate some of the the cap pressures potentially that they would have been under in setting their opening night roster. Because I do expect um, the possibility that at least one or both of um, Timothy Lilligren and Pierre Engvall potentially could be players that could be placed on long term injured reserve to start the season. You know, now to do so, they have to you know be missing. Um, I believe it's twenty four days or, or or ten games. Um, so there you go. So it, it, I, you know, I don't have full clarity on the exact nature of their injuries and the timelines. You know, I expect we'll get that when camp opens Wednesday and Kyle Dubas meets reporters. But you know, I do think there's some question about. You know, I don't think either player is likely to play on opening night, and 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 so when they can get back, when they can get healthy, this might at least give the Leafs a little bit of time to to sort out the cap picture without having to do some of what you know I heard you guys discuss on the last pod in terms of maybe you know, having to trade a player out just to, to make all the numbers balance. Well, the other thing it'll allow them to do is just have some flexibility to look at more guys in the NHL lineup and carry seven defensemen, carry 14 forwards. Like if it's, I mean, that that would mean that both Lilgren and Engvall are on LTIR, but that gives them uh, 3.6 million. So it's more than enough for them to carry uh, some extra skaters, which if they have everyone healthy, I think they're right down to a league minimum roster. So, you know, it's almost like, We've seen this in the past too with the Leafs, where you have someone hurt. Like remember the year that that Hyman was out, there was a year that Dermot was out. It's almost like an extended training camp because they don't have to cut right down to that twenty man roster right away. And so maybe there are some some hidden benefits in that regard. You get to look at some different players in the NHL, right? And it's funny because we could spend all this time analyzing what they do about the cap, and and you know as you know, some of the years the team never gets fully healthy. Maybe someone else gets injured. You know, I'm not wishing that on them, but it's just the reality of, of the sport. There's a bunch of preseason games, obviously training camp. And then, you know, even into the early days of the regular season, something could happen and, and maybe that big decision never comes. You know, I, I remember that one year might've been Jason Spezza's first year. I think he might've been a day away from being exposed to waivers because they almost had no choice. And I believe it might've been Mitch Marner that got hurt in November. Didn't he go um, on waivers, season. CJ? Cause wasn't that a, a whole thing? Like he, he did the, basically he did the, the message. He yeah. did once, but and and that was later. But there was, you know, right out of the gate when he was barely playing, when Mike Babcock was still coaching. I and I think that there was he was almost exposed at that point. He went on as well in order for them to put him onto the taxi squad um, when they had that right. during, during the return to play, and, and it gave them some added flexibility. And at that time, you know, his agent came out and said he would retire if anyone else claimed him. But you know, I guess the point is, is is you can forecast all the potential problems and and. God bless you guys for doing it on your show. But the, the truth is, is we got to see camp and see how healthy everyone is to really have a, a clear picture on the decisions that are coming with when it comes to the bottom of the roster and how many extra skaters they play, what happens to some of the veterans, whether it's Wayne Simmons or or what have you, if, if they will have to go on waivers or if there's a good way to, to end up carrying them all. Well, that's why, like, obviously, James and I have been messaging about this friggin' like thing for months um, but one of the things that kept coming up is like, they don't need to make a decision until they actually have to make a decision, which is at the end of camp and right before the regular season. And, and part of that is like player X could get hurt. Like you could lose a defenseman in camp and then like you've traded Justin Hall in August and suddenly you're like, Oh, we need Justin Hall. Like that's why there was no real like urgency until we got closer to 
mid-October, right? Like they didn't have to do anything until they actually had to do something. I guess the question that I was asking James is like what, and James, maybe you can answer this, is like later in the year when they get healthy, what happens? Like, what do you do? Well, I think the most obvious thing you do is you trade, you probably trade one of the defensemen, right? I mean, but, you know, maybe they'll have different information. I mean, maybe there'll be, Maybe there'll be players that aren't playing well, and maybe there'll be different players that are hurt, as, yeah. as C- CJ said. Like it's you can make the decision then. But I think the most obvious thing is is if you are signing Sandine, depending on what the contract looks like, assuming it looks something like the Lilligren contract, the most obvious thing would be to trade either Justin Hall or Rasmus Sandine. I mean, I, but again, maybe the landscape changes in a couple of months. The Sandine situation is compelling to me. I mean. I get that he's maybe not as critical. It doesn't look like on paper to this season, but you know, if we, if we look past this year to a world where, you know, maybe Jake Muzzin isn't part of the picture or, you know, even TJ Brody doesn't have a ton of time left on his deal. Like it's not hard to get to a point where, you know, he'll, he, you would want him to be a top four defenseman on the team. And so, you know, it's, to me, it's sort of in the, in the background of this discussion is that, you know, clearly today, I don't think he has a ton of leverage in his negotiation, you know, missing camp. It just wouldn't be good if that's how it ends up playing out. Um, but, you know, there's danger in trading him away too, because, you know, he might not be far from becoming a, a more impactful player at a time when they could use that, especially if he ends up cost controlled. And so, you know, this is, this is a decision about this season and next, cause it's probably going to be a one or two year contract he signs, but, you know, I think that it's, it's a little bit about his longer term future. And so, there's kind of a lot of dynamics going on in the background there. And I do think there's still a world, you know, as James is saying, where he's traded. I'm not, I'm, I'm not yet clear. I thought James did a nice job in his, his story at the athletic and laying out kind of the, the four potential paths, because as, as we're recording this today, I, it's not entirely clear to me exactly which way it's headed. I don't well, think the Leafs have decided one way or the other that I think that's where it's at right now. Like, I don't think they've, I think they would like to get him in on one of those numbers on a one-year or two-year deal, but if that doesn't happen, I mean, who knows which way it goes here. Well, well can I, I ask you guys? Sorry, CJ. Actually, go ahead. I just was going to say, well, I mean, I guess if there's any good news to be found in it is I know that the sides have been talking this week uh, leading into to training camp, so there's there's still some exchanging of offers going back and forth, um, you know, which I think is encouraging. Again, because if you're talking about a one- or two-year deal, it, it the gap isn't actually that wide because, you know, he's basically going to get somewhere between what, 800,000 and a million, probably on a one-year deal. I'm sure he'd like more. I'm sure they'd like to pay him less, but you know, that, that's kind of the range. And then if he does a two-year contract, I mean, the Leafs have, have offered him Lilligren's exact deal at 1.4 million. You know, I think it's fair to say Sandine doesn't want that. I mean, he could have signed that, you know, a long time ago and, and been over here skating in Toronto instead of back home in Sweden. But you know, if he pushes for 1.5 or 1.6 or even 1.7, which is what Sean Dursey came out in LA, you know, it's, it's real money and it really matters to the Leafs because of their cap situation. But we're not talking about what I would view as an insurmountable gap. It's just about, you know, maybe the nature of the, the negotiation and the fact that the talks continue, that they've gone back and forth. It, it at least suggests that there's, there's a path to resolution here. And, uh, you know, we'll see how the next day or two play out. Well, let me ask you guys this before we move on. Um, there have been a lot of like, I guess like little, I don't even know the word to use, but there have been these points of contention throughout his time with the Leafs, this being the latest one. And I wonder, does that 
can you ever kind of move on from that? Like, does that ever just become something that one day you kind of laugh about? It's early in his career, blah, blah, blah. Or do you think it's it's something that will always kind of linger and lead them to feeling like, you know what, this this is, there's something not quite right here and maybe we just have to trade him and, and I don't know, move on. Like, is there anything to that, CJ? Or do you, have you seen, I mean, you've covered the NHL a long time. Like, do you see situations where this kind of stuff happens and then the team and player just kind of move on and everything's fine? Well, I think it's more common than we might recognize you know obviously the Leafs get a lot of scrutiny you know more than what happens in other markets but let's face it not every young player steps into the league and plays the minutes he wants and gets the role he wants and gets paid the way he wants and and you know every year there's five or six or seven guys in this you know position that Sandin is today and, and Barrett Hayton and, and Nick Robert or sorry, sorry Jason Robertson you know there are RFAs that, that you know always have trouble getting their second deal done for, for a variety of reasons so you know, this isn't an uncommon experience. I think part of what's gone on with Sandine and the Leafs is is almost nobody's fault. I mean, part of it is pandemic related. If you, if you go all the way back to March 2020, depending on how much of a history lesson you want to do here, if you'll recall when they came back in July and August of 2020, he didn't play in that, that plan round against Columbus at all. So he'd last played a game in March 2020. I think he wanted to play in Europe uh, before the next season started in early 2021 and the Leafs um, weren't keen on that because they wanted him to be healthy and ready for camp. And then he gets scratched for might've been the first 10 games of that season, give or take. He might've played one out of 10, if my memory serves me correct. And then he gets sent to the Marlies and he gets injured. I mean, some of this is, it's not like they've mistreated him. It's, it's also because, you know, there wasn't a lot of hockey played and he was on the fringes of their NHL roster. And then he unfortunately blocked a shot in the HL and, and missed a considerable amount of time. I know he ends up back there at the end of that year. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a yo-yo for him. And so I think the reason my view is, and I'm an optimistic guy, um, that, that this can be salvaged is because I, I actually think Rasmus Sandin's a good kid. I think the Leafs like him, but there's an element here for sure, a dynamic that they, they want him to prove himself a little bit more, right? They, they want to challenge him. You know, we've heard Sheldon Keefe say in the past, and then Kyle Dubas alluded to it, you know, sort of questions about his conditioning or, or you know, how, how he can stand up to the rigors of a full schedule. Uh, again, that's not unique to him that, that we're talking about, you know, 22 year old kid who's still growing into his body and, and, you know, isn't the biggest as it is and plays a, a physically demanding position and he's had some injuries. And, and so, you know, I think that part of the dynamic here is, is they want him to show a little bit more. He feels to some degree that, that they've held him back with opportunities or, you know, signed players that have played ahead of him and have limited his, his, his opportunities. I mean, that's, that's all in the background of this, but I, you know, on paper, quite honestly, if he signs his contract, he gets to play. He gets to play more than he has in the past. He signs a next contract that's even bigger. I mean, I, I certainly don't think that this is a situation that can't be overcome. Um, you know, but we'll have to see it, how it plays out. I mean, a lot of people are critical of the Leafs, you know, second deals to, to Nylander and Matthews and Marner. We don't have to relitigate that. But you know, what you'll remember there is those were all second contracts. And, and you know, what I've heard from some other front office people around the league is that the Leafs didn't use basically the powers of the CBA that, that are granted to teams on that deal enough to, to really squeeze the players and keep the cap numbers lower than they did. And, and you know, really all they're doing here, um, as far as I can tell, is doing just that. And it's the way the system works. It's not great for players, especially players that don't have a ton of leverage, you know, as, as I don't really think ultimately Rasmus Sandin does here. And yeah, I, I do see a path. I, I think, honestly, if you asked him with, complete truth serum right now does he want to remain and play in toronto i think the answer to that question is yes 
Um, but you know, when, when he does sign, uh, and, and if he does sign and he comes back, I think he's going to have to, he's going to have to prove himself a little bit again, uh, with the coaching staff and, you know, grab a bigger role than he's had in the past and, and, you know, put all this stuff behind him. I can certainly see it from his perspective because he's probably looking at the roster and, and they bring back Giordano, you know, the contract that Giordano got makes so much sense. But if you're Sandin, you're like, okay, they want me to prove myself, but how? <laughs> where where, where, when where am I, I play. play? Where am I going to play? Yeah. You know, and, and not only that, Giordano got a two-year deal. And, and again, like the contract makes a lot of sense and Giordano played well at the end of last season. But if, and the other thing too is that, that I, I found curious is the Leafs have said, you know, they've been asked about Sandine playing on the right side and, and Kyle Dubas has said, you know, we know we kind of see him as a left side defenseman. It's like, well, you have, you already have three of those, right? You know, R- R- Riley's not moving over. Muzzin's not moving over. So I don't know. Is Giordano going to play the right side or like, I, I, I guess my question to, to both you guys is do at some point they have to, they have to punch a hole for Sandine. I think it's what CJ said before. It's like the hole might just be punched inevitably with Muzzin turning. Yeah. Is he turning 34? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that, that certainly would have made, I think all of this go easier. I mean, if you're in Rasmus Sandin's shoes, a one-year deal carries risk right now because he doesn't really know how much he's going to play this year. But I guess you could say that of any player, but you know, we all, we all see the depth chart. Um, you know, there's, it's certainly, in a world where everybody's healthy, which, you know, isn't the world we live in because we already know Timothy Lilligren isn't healthy to start the year. But, you know, is he even in their top six right now? I mean, I think you can make an argument he is, but but given all the lefties they have, left shots, that is, um, you know, he it's not a foregone conclusion he plays every night. Even last year, if you remember, before he got hurt, he was on a pretty good roll and, they, you know, and they still scratched him for a game and kind of, you know, indicated that it was his turn that they were rotating about. So, you know, I... Mm-hmm. I, I I can see it from his perspective too, um, but I mean this is this is pro sports, you know, and I don't want to be unsympathetic to it. But sometimes you've got to you, you've just got to find a way to 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 grab hold of your opportunity and, and prove it. And and I do think time will take care of a lot of this for them. Um, you know, there's going to be some turnover one way or another in the pretty near future, and I think he's going to move into years where I think we should expect him to play better and be more confident and and be able to use his experience. He's still a young guy. Um, but you know, this is, this is all what's being discussed here now. And, and look, sometimes, you know, the fact he spent all that, that season in the AHL, that could be part of it too, right? He, you know, he didn't earn NHL money when he got injured that time, um, in the, in the 2021 season. Uh, if you remember, you know, Mitch Marner, part of the, the discussion at the time of his next contract is, you know, he didn't take the signing bonuses that, that he, he probably would have earned. And so, you know, that comes up again when you, you, you sort of remember money that Lennon left on the table in the past. And so that's, that's all factored into it. It's not just this guy has so many points in this many games and that's what he earned. I think that there's, there's some maybe small intangibles that go into moving the contract in one direction or another too. Yeah. And man, there's so much we could do on this. Like even just the question of like, I mean, you mentioned some of the times he didn't play, like he didn't play in the playoffs. Like he obviously was coming back from an injury, but he was healthy at a certain point in the playoffs and they just continue to roll with the guys that they had. And one of those guys obviously was Justin Hall. And I think an interesting conversation that we could have, but is to whatever is like, who helps you more this season, Hall or Sandine. And obviously Sandine has obviously tons more long-term value. Hall is like 31, but anyway, for a cup contender, I think it's an interesting question. One that James, I'm sure you think that they probably are discussing. 
I'm sorry, I missed the thread there. That's okay. We can move on. It's okay. Well, let's let's take a break. Let's CJ, unless you have any thoughts on that. I, I don't know. I, it's one more thing that maybe gets lost in this, and I'm sure fans of some degree are tired of the whole conversation, but you know, players' careers are short too. And so, you know, yeah. as much as I, I know people probably don't maybe like the optics of this or this or that. I mean, we have to remember if you're Ras- in Rasmus Sandin skates, you know, you don't know how long you're gonna get to play in the NHL. You want to make sure you're in the best position. These are your prime earning years too. And so, you know, I, I, again, I don't expect everyone to take a side here and say, oh, poor players. But, you know, I, I, I do respect the players, um, you know, I really take they don't have they don't have forever. And so they have to do what they think is best. And that's obviously what he and, and his agents are doing right now. Yeah. And the system is not set up, as you guys have both alluded to, to help them. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, I want to talk some Kyle Dubas. We'll talk about the roster. And then we have tons of questions for CJ in the pod bag. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get to the roster and kind of break down a little bit what CJ sees about some of the changes that the Leafs have made, uh, I wanted to get both your thoughts on Kyle Dubas, just because uh, it's top of mind for me. I wrote about Dubas not having a contract beyond this season. Um, I guess, CJ, first question for you, and then James, maybe you can uh, follow. I guess a two-part question, even though those are bad in the media when we ask those. Uh, one, are you surprised that they haven't extend, extended him? And B, do you think it's a mistake that they haven't extended him? I guess they're both kind of intertwined. I'm a little bit surprised, yeah. I mean, it, that's not really standard practice. Like normally, normally teams are pretty, especially teams that have had the regular seasons like the Leafs have had. Normally, their teams are pretty liberal in locking people up. And I thought potentially they would do something like with Sheldon Keefe, they gave the extension relatively early on, right? Because they didn't want it to appear that he was going into his last year and that to be talked about a whole bunch, if I if I remember correctly, the timing yeah, right. on that. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't some sort of quiet extension or, you know, in some cases, I think what we see, I don't know about, Chris might know this better than me, but I know with coaches, they have like team options and things like that around contracts. So it creates a little bit more gray area whether or not the contract actually is expiring. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, and I wonder, Chris, if this comes not from Shanahan, if this is an ownership or a board decision that's just saying, let's wait and see before we commit to who the GM is. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's surprising just because, let's face it, this organization has uh, milk ads on its jerseys now. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 you know, and I, you know, I do actually recognize they had to play a lot of games without fans in the last couple seasons, but, you know, making money has not traditionally been an issue for the Leafs. They, they've paid a lot of people money not to work for them or not to, 
you know, not, not to, to be part of the, the current solution. And so, you know, even if they gave them a one-year extension, um, you know, might, might ease some of the focus on this. That being said, and, and, you know, I haven't spoken to Kyle Dubas about it, so I'm, I'm guessing rather than reporting something he's told me, but, you know, I, I suspect he's the kind of guy that's comfortable playing out at uh, a contract year too. I mean, he's, he's still young, right? He's 37. Um, he has tremendous experience. Uh, I, I, you know, we can talk about the, the playoff losses all we want. You know, I think he's, he and Brandon Pridham have done a really nice job of, of managing their salary cap position, reworking the team around that core, you know, finding improvement uh, in a lot of the, the underlying results and, in, in, you know, the standings last season. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say he hasn't done a good job for me as a whole. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't see any world where he isn't going to be able to move on to some other challenge, whether that's somewhere else in hockey, somewhere else in professional sports. I actually think in some ways the sky's the limit for him. You know, he's the kind of guy that climbs mountains uh, that most of us couldn't have imagined at, at already a pretty young age in his life. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think that it will bother him one bit. I don't think it will change the way he manages the team. Um, and, you know, it might end up working in his favor. You know, maybe he wants to leave at the end of the season. I, it's, that that's that's the way these contracts go, right? I mean, there, there's there's two sides to the coin. Typically, we haven't seen NHL teams take their general managers or coaches right right to a, a decision where they can leave on their own accord. But you know that that could be a possibility here too. Um, we'll just have to see how the year plays out. And I, and I actually think it, it's an intriguing kind of dynamic because of how important July first, twenty twenty three, is to the Leafs. With with that being the day that they can lock Austin Matthews up. Um, you know, and, and the fact that Kyle Dubas, you know, I think has a, a strong relationship with Austin and his agent. And, and I think they've already had talks about what the future looks like. And I think they're on largely the same page. I mean, there would be risk in, in changing the GM in, in advance of that date, in my opinion. It doesn't mean it would go badly. I'm not saying that Austin Matthews is demanding Kyle Dubas has to be the GM. But if you bring someone new into that dynamic, I mean, it could change kind of the direction of things. So, there's kind of a lot at play here. It's pretty clear. I know every year we say this is the, this is the year. This is, you know, everything's going to be decided now. This is everything's on the line. I mean, it, it starts to feel to me a lot more like that. That's, that's a true statement in this season. I mean, this, this does feel a little different than in the past, both because, you know, you, you've got decisions on Matthews and Nylander, you know, pending next summer. Um, there's a huge amount of the roster isn't signed too. the sort of, secondary or tertiary players, you know, there's a whole bunch of UFAs, you know, to come next year. So there's an opportunity to change things up. And then we don't know if uh, the GM will be around either. Tertiary. I like that. That's a good one. It, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about with McKinnon a little bit too. And the idea, like in some ways you, it, it, this could benefit Kyle Dubas. Like what if they have a great season and what if it works out well? And then all of a sudden you're negotiating from a different position or, what if there's another team that's a strong team in the NHL that that starts sniffing around Kyle Dubas and he doesn't have the contract and he's not locked up and you know may, maybe the the Leafs would have some competition for him so it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. No, and as I say, like just knowing him enough personality wise, I think I I, I just don't see it changing too much for him. Quite honestly, um, you know I I think that this won't have him more freaked out. I think he do, he does. I think he's done a really good job in the spotlight he's under in a very public facing role, treats everyone with respect, I think has owned his mistakes when, when they've come up and, and, 
I think he's trying to find a solution harder than anybody, uh, even all, all of us armchair quarterbacks out there. So I, I suspect that this won't honestly affect anything for, for Kyle Dubas on a personal level. And, and I think he's probably got a lot of confidence. He'll, he'll find another, a next great, amazing job if this one ends up uh, being taken from him. Well, and that's why I think part of it is interesting is like he's never, I mean, some GMs you see sign contracts and you're just like, that guy, like he's just signed the contract and he's basically saying like, if I get fired, whatever, like it's the next guy's problem. He hasn't done that. Like he doesn't really do many things where you'd say, yeah, like he's just kind of, he doesn't care like what happens long term. Like he seems to have done a pretty good job trying to manage short and long term. That's why I don't totally get why you didn't, wouldn't just I mean, like you said, CJ, maybe maybe he didn't want an extension. I don't know. But it's like now you've created a little, not storm, but just like something around that you, I don't think you need. Um, and it's not like he hasn't done a good job. Like I think what's interesting to me about his tenure, and I wrote about it, is just like the loyalty he's shown to those guys. And it's like, I get it. Like I get why you would bet on that group to eventually overcome. It's just unusual after all that they've been through that like nothing about that core group has changed. Like I don't even have a question for you guys. I just think that that's <laughs> well, I just you know what I would that's notable like that 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 he so believes in those guys that he has not changed that core mix. Obviously the goaltenders have changed, but like another GM like every other GM would have traded one of those guys by now. No. Most of them, I would think, yeah. You know what I was going to say? You were saying that you know maybe you want to have them under contract to to quiet the storm. I don't think it's it's probably not going to matter, right? Like there's going to be this storm around this team yeah, and around Dubas, and there's going to be this debate. There's going to be headlines. There's going to be people talking about it. They're going to you know they lose the first four games of the season. I mean, remember this wasn't it was the start of last year, right? Didn't they yeah. only win two of the first seven or something like that? And it was, <laughs> you know, I mean we you could see the looks on the faces of you know when we were around the team, you could see the way that they were reacting and it was it was kind of they were kind of it, it felt like the the management was thinking like holy shit like you know what's going on you know is this this wasn't what we thought we signed up for this year and then you know matthews was coming off surgery and, and he obviously they ended up putting together a great year and they played at 120 plus point pace after that point but um there's going to be a lot of noise if they if they don't win and there's going to be less noise if they do win and i I think at this point Dubas has to be used to that. Do you know? Do you know how we know it was serious last year? Is when they started off that way, they re they put the dress code back in. So, oh yeah, uh, it's still one of the great mysteries. I could have never got the definitive answer on who did that, why they did it. I mean, it's it's we can presume it was sort of punishment or something back on the players who had pushed to have the dress code removed, but it was put in on that road trip when they were in Carolina and Chicago, and uh, they were worried. They were. They were very, and I know people can say, "Well, you know, they're were they two, four, and one, or something like that, or like, you know, it wasn't like they had a record that was unsalvageable. It was so early on, but just the goaltending went sideways with Mrazek early, and well, actually, and, and he was, the, the he guys got weren't hurt. scoring, and he got yeah, hurt right, <laughs> right, and then Hutchinson came in and and laid an egg again, and you know, and yeah. I just remember, I remember like listening to like you know, sports radio and, and some of the, like the, the temperature in the market just went from like, like it was already simmering because of the Montreal playoff loss. Yeah. And then for them to start the season that way, it was, it was, it was, it was wild. Remember that's, it was the seven, one game. I'm looking at the schedule from last year. It was that seven, one game at, in Pittsburgh 
where right. it really felt. And like, I just, I was, I was doing radio the other day and they asked about Sheldon Keefe and like, I don't know, first coach fired and things. And I really dismissed it. But like at that point last year, like it felt pretty tenuous. Like if they didn't turn things around, like they had lost four straight. And then they had that game in Carolina where Keefe, anyway, we didn't need to relitigate last year. Um, well, people were saying things like, oh, the, they lost 7-1 to Pittsburgh right before Babcock got fired too. And it's like, yeah, I know, but it's not, it's not really the same situation. Well, so let's move on to the roster and then we got to get some questions. Um, CJ, obviously the big bet of the offseason for Dubas, which is especially interesting with everything that's hanging around him uh, and the team, was betting on Matt Murray. Um, we don't have to like go over the trade again. Um but how do you feel about what they've done in goal? Because that's really a central question. And yet the goaltending probably will just be fine, okay, or something like that. And, and they'll just be a good team. I guess it's when it's really in the playoffs where I think we'll learn whether that was a big mistake. Maybe earlier? I don't know. Well, it's funny. I love two minds about this, right? Uh, you know, clearly there's there's a certain um, risk. With, with what they've done, this, it's far from a sure thing. Um, and, and then you can also pull up the numbers from the second half of last year for a team that won, you know, finished with 115 points, didn't have stellar goaltending. You know, but what I look at is in their do or die games, you know, they lost 2-1 to Tampa. I think it was 3-1 to one to Montreal in the final game with an empty netter for, for the Habs. It was 3 nothing the year before that. Um, you know, they're going to need some saves most likely that's that's what history tells us at, at a certain point i'm not saying they can't have a make the playoffs or have a good season but you know this is this is a sizable bet um i don't probably hate it as much as everyone else because uh, i i do think that it's you might be looking past the fact that there wasn't exactly a whole lot of sure things out there for them you know the other bets were bets too you know having watched darcy kemper and, and i know we won the stanley cup with the avalanche you know, he was letting in leaky goals in that final. I mean, the Avs were yeah. so dominant offensively, they, they overcame it to a certain degree, but it wasn't like he locked things down for them. And so I would be nervous watching that with, you know, the kind of contract he got in Washington. You know, we saw Jack Campbell's season last year. It, it was the, the definition of very up and very down, depending on what month you want to zoom in on. Um, and so I, I kind of can understand how they arrived here, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I actually think it will matter more than some out there. I know some think if they get a 880 goaltending or something, they'll still just roll through the league, but not every season the same. I think there's no guarantee. Of course, that Austin Matthews is going to score what 0.85 goals per game or whatever it was ridiculous thing he had last year. I mean, the, the, you know, injuries come into play. I mean, it's a brand new year and, and you know, there's, there's, there's a considerable bet here. I mean, I think the fact they know Matt Murray, really, 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 really well that has given them a little belief in him. Um, but it's uh, when we talk about potential for early season tr trouble in, and it might end up being overstated if it happens, but they have a tough October. If you look at the schedule and you know, if the goaltending sputters early, I, I do think you're going to see rightly or wrongly the kind of, you know, the, the market's going to go crazy again. And, and those of us in our jobs will probably be reacting that same way too. Their schedule is really jammed. I was looking at, isn't it? It's like 38 games before the new year or something like that. Like they, they have a whole bunch of really busy months right off the bat. And that's what the, their season doesn't even start till mid October. So, uh, I know the, the league's trying to get the calendar back to normal, but maybe that's, that's part of why it's so condensed. Um, 
the, the, I think to hit on something that you mentioned with the goaltending, one of the things I find frustrating is people don't, they criticize what the Leafs did, but they don't say, well, they should have done this or they should have done that or they should. Like, I don't see a lot of commentary saying this was the better move for them to make in goal because I don't think there's a clear answer there. Yeah, but James, like, I think it's I think it's two parts. It's not just Matt Murray. It's the trade and the contract. It's like, I know what you're saying and I know what CJ's saying, but I think part of the whole no, bet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ahead. Well, that's fine. If you don't like Matt Murray, like what what's the alternative that you do like? Like what was the play that you think that they should have made? I mean, yeah. I think that, I, I wonder if they could have gone with someone a little bit cheaper and maybe with just a one year left on their contract that would be easier to trade. Like the, part of the problem is that if Murray completely bombs, it's going to be difficult to move that deal in the middle of the season. Whereas yeah. if you had someone else that you're taking a bet on that was easier to to get rid of, you know, I, a lot of the commentary that, that I hear from people just around the league looking at it, they're like, well, you know, if they have to, they can just always add a goalie at the deadline. And I, it seems like every year we go into the season thinking that the Leafs are missing like uh, something in one position and they're going to have to solidify that. I think last year it was probably we were talking about forwards. Maybe they're going to have to add a forward at the, uh, yep. the deadline and then it ended up being defense. They ended up adding Mark Giordano as really their big add at the trade deadline. This year, maybe it's a goaltender, you know, if, if it doesn't end up working out. Um, like so. how though, James, how would you add, unless I guess if Matt Murray was hurt to me, like that's the bigger well, thing. Move, move Samsonov's money out. And I don't know. I mean, it, get the other team to retain half the salary and you know, yeah. there, there, maybe there's some sort of shuffle you have to do in mid season. I'm just, I'm just thinking if it goes bad, there's probably still a way to salvage things. Yeah. I'm kind of more like injury is more concerning to me than performance with Murray. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Well, if he's injured and you can put him on injured reserve, then, then you've got that money to work with, I guess. Yeah. There's not an easy pivot, but yeah. but James is right. It, it's also the, the the roster that starts the season won't be the one that ends the season, uh, and so there's there's definitely things that that could be done mid season. I mean, who are the UFA goaltenders? Like I think James Reimer's in the last year his deal. Maybe San Jose is dealing him with the deadline. Yeah. We want to we want to bang that drum again. But yeah, I mean, look, the, the truth is, if they're making that deal with the deadline, there's probably not a sure thing there for them either. So. Um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I I think Matt Murray could could be a really good story though too. I mean, we're, we're focused on everything that could be go wrong. I mean, I, I do think that there's a world where it goes right too. Um, sure. I realize that doesn't make as compelling of a preseason uh, podcast thought, but you know, it, given what he's been through with his injuries, you know, with the loss of his dad a couple of years ago, quite suddenly, you know, I think it's been a hard few years for him. You you just wonder getting back with people he knows well. There's a few of them in the Leafs organization that have worked with Matt Murray over a lot of years together, and you know maybe they can can help get him back to a level he's he's hasn't previously been at. He, and he's actually traditionally, if you look at his playoff numbers, they're really really strong. And you know, and it's not just those two years that he helped the, the Penguins win the cup. So, you know, maybe there's some some confidence there for the Leafs that if they can get him healthy to the playoffs, um, you know, which is probably going to be close to a 50-50 split of starts, I would think. Like if you're drawing it up right now, I. I He's not going to get a typical starter's workload, I w- I'm guessing. Um, you know, that then maybe he can carry you through. All right. Let's, uh, we could keep talking about the roster forever. Uh, I want to argue about the 14th forward. Huh? I want to argue about the 14th forward. Should we? <laughs> Kyle Clifford, Wayne Simmons, Joey <laughs> Anderson, first, huh? Call up. I mean, you guys really get in the weeds on this pod usually. Well, I thought it was interesting. Josh Cloak uh, today in the Athletic did the top ten prospects 
likeliest to, to play for the Leafs this season. And he loves him some Joey Anderson. Uh, I, I still think it's got to be Robertson, but I don't know. If you want to talk about that, James or CJ, feel free. Reach into the podcast. Chris. Reach into the podcast. Yeah. What are the fans? Okay. Like? Well, I think we got a break first, though, right? We do, James. Thank you. Do you want to take us to break? There's not much to it. Let's let's have a break. <laughs> <laughs> let's do a pod bag. And as always, at this point, I like to remind everyone to eat at their local restaurants, support their local businesses. CJ and I had a nice lunch uh, on whatever day it was yesterday at the Haifa Room on Ossington. Had some falafels. Those were good, eh, CJ? They were excellent. Great choice by Jonas. And woo! All right, James, now now you get to take over and be in charge. Excellent. <laughs> and Chris, there will be no movie questions because that segment on your podcast is, I texted you this on the weekend, it's the most painful thing I ever have ever heard. Yeah, entertainment's not my strong suit, although I'm watching Better Call Saul right now and I'm really enjoying that show. So I could I can handle some Better Call Saul questions, but no movies, please. Nice. Well, I haven't seen that one yet. So. It's a good show. Uh, Brian asks... Have the Leafs talked to Bunting about a contract extension? What will his next contract look like? Oh, I mean, <laughs> is, there any, is there any hope that they'll be able to keep him? I mean, his, his season was just so massive. If he has the same season he just did, it, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Um, and it, it's a strange spot to be in because you don't want to be cheering against the guy not to have a, a good season. But I think there is a world because, you know, if, if you look at their cap picture, you know, Kerfoot, Engvall, Kampf, mm-hmm. Obey, Kubel, you know, there's, there's a lot of pending UFAs. And so I think that there, there is ways potentially to commit to him um, at a number that he can accept. But, you know, he's also, what, 27 or 28. He's a little bit of an older NHL player because it took him a while to get uh, established in the league. You know, I, I'm not going to – it's it's way too early to speculate that he's, he's going to go the way of Zach Hyman or – um, you know, Ilya Mikheyev or some of the other players that basically just, you know, were, were too good or had too strong a market that the Leafs couldn't get to. I think next summer actually sets up as a pretty intriguing summer, no matter what happens during this season, um, just because there's there's way more guys that could potentially come off the books and how they handle that, um, how they move the money around. You know, maybe maybe there's a world that they can keep them on something like a hometown discount, but if he puts up 60 points or something again, you know, it might be might be beyond what they can do. Yeah, I think you want to see it again. Like, I think he'll be basically the same. Like, I don't think we'll get 63 points again. Like, I think he'll produce again. But I think you probably, you just want to see it again or something. You know what I mean? Like, you want to see even a couple months or, you know, before, like, you're locking him up. That's me. And I'm obviously a, a fan. You know, he's a local guy and it took him a long time to get here. And he's in such a good position and he's got a good relationship with Matthews and Marner. I mean... Maybe there's a world where the Leafs make maybe they do something with term or something like that that makes it make sense for him and 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 keep the cap hit down if they can. I have I haven't really thought a lot about what his contract would look like, but it's and it's interesting. It's an interesting idea with a guy who's had one amazing season and not much else. Right. I mean, look, Alex Kaloran signed a seven year deal in Tampa at at not crazy money. I'm not saying it. Yeah. His exact deal, but something like that. You know, I remember talking about could that have worked for Hyman. You know, I think they tried to do something maybe kind of around that, but, you know, Edmonton was just offering too much money, um, you know, that it was too much to, to, to take. But uh, there, there could be ways to, to make it happen. You know, it's pretty clear to me the Leafs have by design, though, 
committed very few players beyond, you know, the 22, 23 season. You know, I think that they want to leave their options open. They're, you know, they're going to have to make big decisions on Matthews and even Nylander. Maybe you're trading Nylander next summer or you're trying to negotiate an extension with them. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of flexibility. That's, that was what was so interesting about Kelly Yarncroft getting the, the two point, the, the four year deal that he got, you know, from the Leafs is just, he was really the only player they gave any amount of term to, uh, you know, in free agency. Everyone else basically was on one year deal. Well, these are, sorry, James, then you can do another question. These are the players who are under contract beyond the season after next. Tavares, Marner, Yarncroke, Riley. That's it. James? There's lots of Sandine questions, understandably. Maybe we'll just do one because we have talked about him a lot. But Blake has a question and he says, you know, Having seen what what Jersey signs for two years at one point seven, what does that mean for Sandine? Um, are there other comparables you look at to factor in for this deal? And finally, what's the number that Sandine's asking for, and where do the Leafs want to land? I mean, I I got into this a little bit in the piece. I mean, the Leafs would like him to do a two year deal at one point four with with Lilgren. Uh, have you heard anything on 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 this? I, I think there was one report out there from San, that Sandine was asking for. 1.4 on a one-year deal. Uh, I don't know if you've heard anything like that, Chris. Yeah, I know he did ask for that. I'm going to go back, say, a couple weeks ago. Um, mm. So that wasn't that wasn't made in these last few days. I think the number might have come down from there, but I don't I don't know where they're at. If I'm being Ken, mm. um, but you know that that's accurate, and and you know it is accurate. The Lisa have offered him and tried to stick to the the Lilligren deal. I mean. You can see their position. I, they actually have the exact same goals per game in the NHL and the exact same points per game in the NHL. And, and neither has obviously had a huge track record to lean on. Uh, and so I can understand Toronto's position in trying to get them on the same deal. I don't believe they're going to do that. I also think that Dersey, the, the thing we can learn from Dersey is I, I can't imagine Sandine can, can reasonably make an argument for more than two years at 1.7 million AAV, uh, just given you know, even though Jersey, it's just one really strong year, you know, he played a lot more minutes and his numbers are better. So I, I think that that's kind of the range is yeah. it's a two year deal. I bet it falls between 1.4 and 1.7. I think the Leafs are, might have to give in a little bit to get it done there. Um, and if it's a one year deal, I, you know, I, I'm not sure where they'll end up, but, um, you know, at one point I do know that Sandine had, had put 1.4 or his camp had put 1.4 million on the table on a one year deal. I, I don't think that that's their current ask, but uh, no one's told me what their well, and ask is. It, correct me if I'm wrong. At one point, they wanted long, more than two years too, right? Like that was part of the sticking point. So, and yeah. I, I just I don't, mean, it, years, it's hard to come up with a number that makes any sense at, at more than two years. But there's a few guys that have had pretty good three-year deals on their second contract as defensemen, right? So, you know, I think yeah. there was a time where, you know, whether it's Jake Bean's deal or Boakvist's deal in Columbus, I mean, maybe... Those yep. deals were, were tempting, but I, I don't think that that's uh, you know, been a, a recent discussion point for them. All right. Douglas says, when I look at the contracts in place for the Leafs, it looks to me as if management has set the stage for a reset around Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Riley. That explains their reluctance to make long-term commitment to a goalie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Longer, you know, like basically what he's asking. It's a this is a very long question. Uh, it's he says in the meantime they remain competitive with a chance to make playoff progress. This seems to contemplate a lengthy window. Is there any acknowledgement of this? I guess basically, w- the way I read 
that is the Leafs have kind of set themselves up to be flexible that they can go one way or the other. But I don't. I, how would you respond to that, Chris? Well, they they definitely have done that, um, and you know, there's no one in the organization that's approaching this season or even next as like the last ones where their contention windows open. I mean, you know, especially if you get to a world where you're extending Matthews and ultimately Marner. I mean, these guys are still 25, right? I mean, it's not. You know, we don't have to search hard to find the example of the the 2018 Capitals for a team that kind of went back with the same general core again and again and again and again and went through all kinds of heartbreaks and lots of great regular seasons and finally got it right. So I I think that the flexibility is key. I think it's smart with some of the uncertainties of the cap. You know, there's some optimists out there that say that 2024-25 season will be the year the cap jumps. And I've heard from people anywhere that they think it could jump from 86 million to even as high as 90 million, um, depending obviously on, on where revenues land and how quickly the, the owner's debts can be repaid. But th- it's also possible uh, that it's not for a season more. And so there's there's real danger, I think, you know, both for players, but for teams for locking too long on uncertain players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the Leafs should have some confidence that they can find, you know, decent players that, you know, around their stars. I think they've, they've done it time and time again. Um, you know, every year you're talking about like, it's too bad Zach Hyman's leaving because he was a darn good contributor that was part of the team or, or you know, Ilya Mikheyev, you know, who was a signing, you know, out of the KHL. Obviously all those guys don't work out. The Leafs have brought a number of European play, players over that didn't end up making an impact. But I think they've done a pretty good job of finding other players, even in, in free agency, whether it was someone like David Kampf, the, you know, how he played, you know, Bunting's probably the extreme example, you know, because he's under a million dollars and, and did have more than 60 points and, and was on their top line. So I think you leave the flexibility open and and the belief will be that the stars will, will help eventually get this group over the top. And then maybe it'll be someone else's decision at some point. But I think the current front office is just trying to position itself to have a great chance every year while these guys are still in their primes. Yeah, can I just say one thing to that? That's why I think it's interesting when you look at how Kyle Dubas is kind of judged. Is you, you don't end up spending a lot of time on the things that like worked. I guess we do. We write about them. We talk about them. But like the mistakes are more pronounced because of what's happened in the playoffs. And then they're more pronounced with the market. Like, do you hear anyone giving Bill Zito shit for trading two first round picks for Claude Giroux and Ben Chirot? No, because like no one's talking about the Panthers. It's just like it's, I don't know. It's it's different being in this market. It's almost like you you're just well, you're under a microscope in a way that most markets aren't. And I That's I all. would say too, in in Dubas's defense, you know, like when he when he's made a mistake, he's done some decent jobs of getting out of it. You know, the Nick Ritchie contracts, the most obvious from last season. Yeah, you know, he still managed to turn it into Ilya Labushkin. Now I know he had to burn another draft pick while doing so and probably would prefer not to be doing that given that they've, they've traded a lot and trying to win, but you know, he, he turned him into a player that, that played for the team and, and ultimately signed a pretty good deal in free agency uh, in Buffalo that did Labushkin. So, you know, I, I, I think that he's been quick to address the mistakes. I, you know, they made some mistakes. If you go back a few seasons, maybe with the backup goaltending, it was going off the rails and then they found Jack Campbell for at a time, you know, none of us probably didn't think too much of that trade or didn't, didn't know what was coming. And then he ended up being, their starter. So, you know, I, I think that, that they've they've done a good job of being honest about where they're at. And when they make a mistake, they don't stick with it too long, that they find a way to try to parlay it into something else. And, you know, they have had a lot of success. They just don't have enough playoff wins. So we're all breathing down their neck. 
Adriano asks, is there anything behind the Patrick Kane to the Leafs rumors? He would look good on Tavares's wing, but the cap hit would seem to indicate this would be a deadline deal, since most of the contenders right now don't have the space in their salary structure. Anything to those rumors, or is it just people getting excited about uh, the idea of Kane and Toronto? That, to me, was like the typical August, nothing's going on in the NHL story <laughs> and, and people started talking about it. I was actually on vacation. And so I'm not aware of where it all came from. Um, you know, I, I, but I found no reason to believe it's, it's a real rumor. I, I don't know how that cap it, even if it's twice retained is something the Leafs could, could truly accommodate. You know, it, it'll be an interesting discussion point. If Patrick Kane becomes an unrestricted free agent, um, a whole bunch of teams are going to want him. You could bet uh, the Buffalo Sabres will probably try to find a way to, to bring him to play in his hometown uh, you know, the New York Rangers probably are, are thinking that he's the kind of guy that could help get them over the top with the way they're trending. I mean, we could, we could go all over the league and, and make a case for why teams would like him. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, with Austin Matthews having grown up a Patrick Kane fan, you know, it's, it's a nice idea. The idea of these two, you know, maybe the two best American players ever playing together. I mean, that, that I, it makes for a good story. I just don't think it's based in reality at this point in time. There's a relationship there too, with Matthews and Kane and. You, I mean, maybe there would be some pull factors for him. It's it is close to home. It is a team that's a contender. You know, making the money work would would certainly be interesting. I guess I guess you'd have to just push out some salary in some way to make that happen. Right, or you know, who knows where Kane will be at? I mean, he he's made a lot of money, uh, and he still remains a really high end player. So he's in a position to demand more money. But you know, perhaps at that stage of his career, he's just going somewhere else where you can get a taste of playoff hockey because, you know, it's been a long time since Chicago was, has been a team really in the mix playing big games. And, and I would have to think the longer you get into your career and you're still as good as he is, that, that can have been easy. I don't think the season will be easy for either him or Jonathan Taves. I would think as we get to the trade deadline in late February, um, a lot of talk will be about where Kane might be going and what teams might be in on him. Um, he, he controls the process with a no movement clause. You know, it's, it's going to be a storyline. I just, as I say right now, like I, there's nothing to me that suggests the Leafs have made any real attempt to, to do that. I don't think that there's a, there's not really an easy way they could do it that would make much sense. But let's let's park it in the background for a little while and see where where we're at. Maybe in February, but specifically next July. It does kind of feel like a top six forward would be a need again at the trade deadline. If yes, yeah, it kind of feels like. I mean, as long as if the goaltending holds up and no one's hurt on defense, then that would be where they would look to add a piece. Unless like Robertson pops or something like that happens. Matthew Nye's show arrives in town. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need some cat magic, but uh, the magician Brandon Pridham has done that for them in the past. <laughs> You'll be excited to know, CJ, that we have some questions about the fourteenth forward. So oh, we boy. are gonna get to talk about Woo! that more. Uh, Larry P says it doesn't appear that Wayne Simmons is going to make the team uh, to start, and they don't have the cap space to carry much in terms of extra players. I mean, we talked about that. Maybe with with some guys hurt, they will. Uh, do you expect uh, Simmons to play for the Marlies uh, if he goes through waivers, or or how do you see that playing out if, if, if Simmons doesn't make the team? Well, I take some issue with the premise of the question because I'm not prepared myself to get there that just yet. Um, you know, I understand why... Everyone's thinking that that Wayne Simmons' time might might be up in, in the NHL, that the cap might squeeze them. But you know, with some of the news we're still digesting now, 
about, you know, potential guys on LTIR, you know, it, it might prolong them there. And, and let's face it, they want a fourth line this year. I think that that is pretty aggressive physical line. You know, you, you can see it in the signing of Nicholas Obey Kubel. I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Zach Aston Reese will be signed at some point uh, to join the team. And, and, you know, Simmons can, can give you something there. I mean, maybe, maybe Kyle Clifford too. I mean, he, Kyle Clifford played a lot of games down the stretch. I know uh, it didn't go well in the playoffs and, and he really only had a couple shifts and, and he was done, but um, I, I can't rule any of them out at this, at this stage. And, you know, I do know one thing they love about Wayne Simmons is his presence, uh, the way he is around the, the guys. That's why he signed a two-year extension, um, you know, at a time when a lot of people wouldn't think he'd get that kind of commitment from the Leafs. So, you know, I, I'm not prepared to say that, that I'm, not, I'm not ending his career for him just yet. I think that there's still a world where he's, he's playing a, a sort of Jason Spezza-like role on the team, obviously a different type of player, but I just mean the veteran guy that won't complain, that, that sets an example and, you know, maybe ends up playing eight minutes some nights or five minutes some nights and, and being sat other ones, but is still on the NHL. Yeah, I agree with CJ. Like, I understand, like, James and I, we've talked about it. I think they'd go into camp saying, like, he kind of gets a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than Joey Anderson. Like, Joey Anderson's going to have to just be awesome and grab a spot. Whereas Wayne Simmons, if if he just looks like he's pretty good, like, and he can still maybe contribute, that he'll get a spot, especially with what you guys are talking about. Like, don't you see it that way, James? Like, unless... Well, I mean, if they have the room to do it. I mean, I right, think a lot of the speculation sure. was they didn't... It looked like they didn't have the cap space to even... Even at 900, Wayne Simmons. I mean, if Wayne Simmons is making 750, then I think the conversation is a little bit different, but they might actually need that money. So I think that that's... And the other thing, too... Like, we all know that Simmons, there were long stretches last year where he wasn't effective. He didn't look like an NHL player. So, including the playoffs. Some of this is, some of this is going to be on him to play better than he did last year. Right. And, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe he had a big summer and he's able to, to surprise us, but he kind of looked like the, you know, the Joe Thornton by midway yeah. through last season. He looked like he couldn't play anymore. So I think if that's the case, I think they're going to make the hard decision at some point. It's just that if, if Engvall and Lilgren are out, maybe they don't have to make the hard decision until November or, you know, maybe more guys are going to get hurt and you can afford to carry Simmons as your 13th or your 14th forward. Yeah, but it's it's too soon for me to say he's done and to get into all that. I think that's that's a decision for somewhere around October 10th. He is older than I thought. How, how old do you think he is? 34, right? Yeah, he's 34. I didn't I, like I. Uh, for some reason, I had in my mind he was like 32, 33. No, he's 34. Well, he was when he came to Toronto. And right. Time keeps marching on for all of us, right? So Apparently. <laughs> oh, man. This round, this round of retirements today has me feeling my age a little bit. Like, P.K. Subban retiring is like, oh, man, I I, I was at his draft. Like, I, I, just, <laughs> I feel like, oh, this is happening a little too quickly now. Yeah. And, it, like, yeah, I remember I watched Chara and Junior. Like you know, like there there are guys retiring now that are substantially younger than us. <laughs> so, not Chara, but but someone like Subban's quite a bit younger. Um, I'm only younger than one sure NHLer this year. So oh, wait, man. can we guess who that is? Who's going to be the oldest guy in the league this year? Sure NHLer. I think Andy Green's gone. Uh. That's and it's not counting, obviously, Joe Thornton, who I know is skating in San Jose, but hasn't signed Joe, anywhere. As a, Joe Pavelski, how old's Joe Pavelski? No, no he's, he's not quite there. Yeah, 
He's playing Is it a goal. goalie. He's playing goal for the Buffalo Sabers this year. Oh, Craig Anderson. Oh. Yeah, he's the only I, guy that. That I is definitely older than me. That's going to still be in a league this season. That has a I'm pretty sure I'm older than Craig, so I'm. I, <laughs> it's a moment we all reach in our life where we're we're older than everyone. In there. I guess that means we're not going to make it, right? I'm dangling by a thread. Yeah, I guess that means my tryout <laughs> isn't coming. No PTO coming for Johnson this year. My my terrible beer league career is dangling by a thread. I keep getting hurt, so it's. <laughs> uh, Stephen asks. Uh, Folks keep saying that Justin Hall is a likely cap casualty once they get healthy instead of uh, Alex Kerfoot. Uh, can the team really play this season with only one natural right-hand shot, D? And what happens if if Logren gets injured? Which, I mean, this question obviously came before we knew that Logren was injured. Uh, it seems like they should trade Kerfoot, give themselves $3.5 to play with. Are they really a weaker team without him, given all the players they've added? There's a lot of a lot of the fan base is really down on Kerfoot. We talked about this on the podcast last week. Part of it is is what happened during the playoffs, but I don't know if you want to talk about poten- the potential of. I don't. I don't even think the Leafs looked at trading Kerfoot, but you, Chris, you may have you may have different information than I do. No, I, I hadn't heard anything like that from another team. Um, I do remember a couple of years ago his name before the deadline was a little bit in the mix. I think it. I mean, the years are starting to blend together through the pandemic, but there was one season. I think where they were listening on might've been Kapanen at the time or Janssen before they ultimately traded those guys and Kerfoot was sort of included. Um, but yeah, I don't have any reason to believe he's going to be traded. If I'm being honest. I mean, look, we're talking about them probably needing another uh, impact ish forward. I realize, you know, part, part of, I guess the knock on Kerfoot is you just don't always notice all the things he does well. Um, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't put up the, the kind of points the guys that have played in the top six have, obviously. But, you know, I, I, I think he's been someone the coaches appreciated because he can be moved around the lineup. He skates really well. He's not that old. Three and a half million on the cap is, is actually not really that expensive for what he brings you. And so, you know, I won't say he's not he's always untouchable, but I, I don't have any reason to believe, think he'll be traded. Uh, um, you know, the lack of righties has been sort of a right-handed shot defenseman that is, has been a, kind of a, a long sort of sticking point in the organization. If you look league-wide, I think there's only about two, an, on average, two right-hand shots per team. Uh, there's just more left-handed defensemen that play regularly in the league. And so I don't think, I mean, I think in an ideal world, you would have a true right-hand shot that can play in your top four and everything would line up perfectly, but it's not an ideal world. And so the Leafs have patched it together in the past, and I think they'll they'll do that again. I mean, we'll see when we get more information on Lilligren's injury, maybe it, it causes them to go out and try to make a subsequent move, but I, I don't see an obvious upgrade out there that would make sense with all the cap issues we're, we're already discussing. So, you know, I think that they intend to get by with, with Jordy Ben and Victor Mete in addition to the guys returning um, and sort of going with that. All right. Last one. What do you think, James? Joe? Last one? Okay. Well, maybe I'll do a non-Leafs question then just because we've been pretty heavy in the weeds the whole way here. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll throw a big softball at you because this is one that, pe- this is one that they, people wanted CJ to answer. Uh, Zachary asks, uh, what's the most satisfying part of your job? What keeps you, well, he says all of us, what keeps you all motivated, inspired years into your profession? Now we're the old guys talking about <laughs> how long we've been around. I think this is my 15th season and I know both of you guys have been around at least even longer than I have. So that's, that's a lot. It's a lot of games. Uh, I, I think what keeps me motivated and it's probably the same for all of us. I mean, like we don't have to work for a living. So, I mean, 
if we're just being honest, if you think of all the things you could have done, all the other alternate paths you might have walked down, all the other ways you might have chosen to live your days and, and you know, do what I would call work. I mean, this this has turned out pretty good, you know, in my pretty well. In my specific case, this is something I wanted to do since I was a really young child for some reason, like a rationally young age. I wanted to be a hockey journalist uh, and I feel super fortunate to have had a chance to do that. It's changed. It's taken on different formats. You know, I've done lots of TV work and getting into the podcast game now and, and you know, written at different places. But, you know, I, I'm just trying never to have to get a real job is the easy answer. And so I'm going to do this until they tell me I can't do it anymore. Jonas, you want to answer that one? I think it's the same as CJ. I'm also, and I know CJ is this way too, and you are as well. I'm curious. I, I like watching and seeing how things work. And like, I'm obsessed with like lineups and seeing some of these stories play out. And it's like an interesting team to cover, right? People care about this team. So I think we're fortunate to, I don't know, cover a team where people actually care about the 14th forward. Like that's awesome, right? The the thing I find too, and unlike Chris, I didn't decide to go into this business until, and I think Jonas, you're, well, you were pretty young when you got in, but like I, I came to a crossroads in my life at like 23 years old. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And then it, I had to figure it out. And, I, and that's when I decided, well, I may, I, I'd like to go into the media. And the thing I found right from the very beginning, like even before I was part of the Leafs media, is I just liked the people that were involved. Like there's a lot of interesting people. You get, you know, I met you guys when I first started covering the Leafs 15 years ago, and I think I, I think they sat me right in the press box beside Chris, and who I had never met before. And you make lifelong friendships in this business, and it's it's pretty neat to, you know, we're we're competitors, but we also get to work together. And there's there's just so many great people. I mean, think of all the all the people that we've met, the the places that we've gotten to see, and the things we've gotten to do. And so uh, that that's I think what I would answer. Yeah, we got to pinch ourselves. Like seriously, I mean. My last real job before this one was like working at Wendy's. So, um, you know, what, what could be better really? Uh, and it's been hard during the pandemic. Like, I'll be honest. Like I, I really had times in the last few years where it was probably the first times I didn't enjoy it. You know, it was hard being stuck at home. It was really hard going to games with no one in the building. There was challenges not being able to really physically get close to the team or the players get to know what was happening in a way that, I like, but I'm so pumped that we're back to what I think should be close to a normal season and, and getting to do the job under the, the previous conditions and the excitement. And man, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do something with your, all these working hours. Like, can you imagine, like, what else would you be doing? Like James, you're going to be in a rock band. Jonas could be like a university <laughs> professor, maybe. But like, what, what, what were the alternate paths? I mean, this yeah, is no offense guys. If I could have done the rock band thing, I wouldn't have been here, but that didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> What's your plan B, Jonas? Did you have one? I don't think I thought that far. No, I could maybe be a teacher. Yeah, maybe be a teacher. I don't know. It's funny. I still remember. It was really weird. This didn't actually happen a lot on the beat, but I I bumped into Mike Babcock two days before he got fired in Vegas, and we stopped and had a chat. And again, like doesn't happen a lot. Usually, you see maybe people at the team. You might have a nod. And he, he actually said to me, he's like, why do you do this? He's like, what? He's like, what? He's, like, he's like, what was your plan B? And I was like, honestly, I didn't have a plan B. And he's like, I tell my kids that all the time. You can't have a plan B. You just got to chase what you want to do. And, and, you know, I do think there's some there's some logic to that, even though it, it can be scary at times and uncertain. And, you know, I think we'd all acknowledge that we've had 
a good few good bounces along the way to be able to do it as long as we have and at the level we have. It's a crazy business. Like it's, I don't, I don't want to, we're talking about the good parts, but it's, there's also, there's crazy stuff that happens too. But I think that's a good way, a good way for us to end the show. So thanks for, thanks for putting in overtime with us, Chris. No problem. I'm so pumped for this season, guys. And, uh, and I'll be seeing you around the rink. So it's going to be fun. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned, read, uh, Chris at NorthstarBets.ca. Listen to his podcast, The Chris Johnson Show, with our buddy, Julian McKenzie, who's now covering the Flames. CJ, as James said, thank you. We love you. We will see you soon. Thanks, guys.